Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. what's up, guys? Kenny Florian. Oh my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Whoo! Oh, ha ha! Dateline: Boca Raton, Florida, to Los Angeles, California, Monday, May fourteenth, twenty eighteen. Episode one fifty five, I think. Didn't write it down. Anik and Florian podcast. Good to be on U.S. soil, kid. And nice to see you. Long weekend in uh, in Rio de Janeiro. I bet, man. Must have been a, a little bit of a whirlwind tour for you. You went there, called some fights, called a lot of fights, then came back, like on the red eye, I'm sure. Uh, you probably got robbed once or twice. What well, you know, I'm a Boy Scout. Thank, thankfully, yeah. I know I was never a Boy Scout of America, but when I'm on the road for the UFC, I'm a Boy Scout. So I was in my hotel room and avoided uh, what plagued some of our coworkers. Yeah. And, and not going to obviously get into details here, but scary stuff. And yes. I think it would give a lot of them pause to go back. Rio's just not in a great place right now. And um, every country has its issues, obviously, sure. and every city does. But Rio in particular right now doesn't appear to be the safest place. And thankfully, uh, we're in and out, and, and we have a whole lot to talk about. But before we go there, uh, today the Supreme Court of the United States of America struck down a federal law that prohibits sports gambling in a landmark decision that gives states the right to legalize betting on sports. Uh, reading here from David Purdom's piece at ESPN.com, the court ruled 6-3 to strike down the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act a 1992 law that barred state-authorized sports gambling with some exceptions made Nevada the only state where a person could wager on the results of a single game. Um, 
So states that want to offer legal sports betting are allowed to do so now. New Jersey will be first. Delaware, Mississippi, New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, among the states expected to quickly get into the legal bookmaking game. So what, what does this mean for an American sports better like me? This is incredible news. I mean, this is a, this is a, a potentially life-changing thing for me that within a year I could drive 40 minutes to Gulfstream Park and bet on the Cleveland Cavaliers. I right. mean, that's that's like a pipe dream my whole life, and this might this is happening, Kenny. Today is this like so? Is it going to be like National Gambling Day eventually? And this going to be like your Independence Day? This is annex like I don't know. Is it like a birthday? What what is this like? Yeah, well, I mean, it certainly it puts a birthday to shame. It's certainly <laughs> not like getting a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I mean, I don't know that we need to glorify it like that, but. Uh, so the court ruled in favor of New Jersey and against the NCAA. I mean, Kenny, this is wow. crazy. The NFL, NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball capping a nearly six-year legal battle and overturning a federal statute that the sports leagues had adamantly stood by for more than 20 years. So wow. I have made tens of thousands of sports bets in my life, okay? Right. More than 10,000 sports bets easily, okay? Right. And in any number of ways, right, that I maybe should or shouldn't have. I don't even know if, if it was legal or illegal, right? I mean, who I understand that a bookie yes. isn't isn't necessarily a legal thing, right? Right. But this is this is just exciting stuff, and Florida better gets on get on its horse because uh, see, I, I'm I'm living on the East Coast. You know, I'd like to be on the West Coast in Vegas or L.A., but yeah. my wife has me on the East Coast. Right. So if I'm gonna be here. New Jersey and New York are gonna have sports bet sports books there. Like I will, I move where the sports books are. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this: So, how does that work? Does it, you have to now file a some kind of uh, pay uh, taxes on this money? Is that what? You, yeah, like did you have to? Did you, well, not only did you have to file yourself as a business as a book. You know, uh, like if you're a bookie, do you file something in order to get approved to be able to do this or? That, that I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how it's all going to go I down. I assume, right? You know? Just like any other um, business. Maybe we'll have, you know, Kenny Florian can start opening sports That's books what I'm saying. And, That's what I'm uh, saying. You know? You're going to be my, my one and only client. I'll be fine. So how much do you think, how much money, Kenny, do you think Nevada took in, excuse me, last year? How much money do you think Nevada took in in, in, in sports betting? Jeez. A billion? More? How about four, four, $4.8 billion, right? <laughs> so, and, wow. And, and this article tells me there are a lot more people who live in New Jersey, actually, than Nevada, right? So, Jeez. obviously, the ramifications of this are pretty mind-numbing in terms of what it could do wow. uh, to help states financially. Uh, and for me, too, right after, and I know we're going to move on to UFC 224, I promise you. Um, but right after this news broke, you know, my excitement, and I'm calling everybody, and then that quickly turned to, like, all right, dude, you know, like, you got it. <laughs> At least put this in check a little, right? Because the, you know, this could go down a path where today could end up looking back, looking forward twenty years, and a, a yeah. real bad day for my daughters uh, if I don't get it in check a little bit. But <laughs> UFC two twenty four, and there's so many different headlines. Ray Longo is going to join us here in about ten minutes, but I want to, you know, start with the fighting, and then we'll get to Raquel Pennington yep. and everything else. Amanda Nunes. For me, there's a lot of different ways you could go with this, but I think the conditioning is sort of the biggest takeaway for me that sort of finally, I guess, looked like a fighter that could win 10 five-minute MMA rounds. And 
every skill in the book. She doesn't have to use half of them to beat a lot of the women in front of her, I think, in this top 10, at least on paper. Uh, tremendous performance uh, in front of a good Rio crowd and really happy for a good person and a truly elite fighter, Amanda Nunes. Rarely do I believe that there's a professional fighter out there that can't go five rounds. You know, some people, you know, you'll mm. hear fans say, although that he's a good fighter, but he can't go three rounds or three hard rounds or right. he can't do a championship fight. He gets tired heading into the fourth and the fifth. They usually get tired because of a couple things. First of all, it's their emotional connection to the fight. Right, emotionally they just can't handle it. Um, so then they get tired, they get overworked, they get nervous, blah blah blah. They get tired. Number two, it's really the pacing. So the experience uh, of not doing five uh, fives in a real competition setting, right. um, not being able to do that is what gets them tired. So I think those are the two major things. Now you got Amanda Nunes who has experienced both of those things. She's been through all the trials and tribulations, uh, you know, that this sport brings. Uh, she has done a, a, a five uh, a five round fight. Um, she's used to that. So now you see her just kind of cruise through, and she's fine. It looked like she wasn't even breathing. She didn't have a problem with it. So right. she has that confidence now. She has that experience. She knows how to pace herself, um, and we have a completely different fighter because of it. The striking defense, you know, just seemed to always have her opponent missing by an inch or yeah. a couple. And, the, you know, the weight cut at times, right, Nina Ansaroff would attest to this, has been problematic for Amanda Nunes, maybe not putting herself in a position to have an easy fight week. And now they've nipped that in the bud. But this seems to be a special striker, Kenny, just in terms of the accuracy and, and fought a very durable Raquel Pennington and finally was able to get her out of there. And there's a whole storyline there. But I just I want to shine the spotlight first on Amanda Nunes because this is three title defenses. Ronda Rousey's record is six. A lot of people thought Ioana Young Jacek was going to break that thing. And, and that went by the boards, certainly courtesy of Rose Namajunas. But I, I just I don't know. I think Amanda Nunes is really something special. And if she doesn't want the cyborg fight and wants to keep going here at 135 pounds you know i think she can supplant ronda rousey here as the greatest women's bantamweight of all time here in like a year and a half and that was something you thought you'd, you'd say a lot later than you know 2019 well she's improving too which is scary and she has room for improvement and i know that she will probably fill in those holes as she goes forward with her career she is motivated as a martial artist to improve to keep adding weapons uh into her game um and i, I think we saw that and heading into this fight we knew that uh pennington was pretty overmatched heading into this uh she didn't have the speed advantage she didn't have mm -hmm. the strength advantage she didn't have the striking advantage she didn't have the ground advantage you know so yeah. amanda nunes um, you know, for anyone in that weight class, it's going to be very difficult for you to have any aspect of your game that's going to be better than Amanda Nunes. I mean, that that's how good she is. Um, and she proved it on Saturday night. And there are a lot of high-level people working with Amanda Nunes, too, yes. right? Not only does she have one of the top 15 or, or probably 10, in my mind, strawweights in the world, Nina Ansaroff as her girlfriend and, and primary training partner, Conan Silvera's in her corner, guys like Mike Brown and Dean Thomas and all the American top team stable of guys that aren't with her necessarily during fight week. I mean, Dean Thomas is breaking down Raquel Pennington to a T as to what type of fighter's going out there. So she's got a lot of support, and, and I'm excited to see where, where, where she can take it from here. But I think you're right to talk about Raquel Pennington and the performance and before getting to her corner and sort of the unceremonious end to this fight for her yeah you know not a great championship performance as underdog for Raquel Pennington and I don't know if it's just that she ran into this truly elite fighter in Amanda Nunes that I'm describing or that the ceiling for Raquel Pennington is you know what maybe a lot of people thought it was
you know, uh, again, I, I hate to make this analogy, but, you know, she went in there really with a pellet gun against Amanda Nunes, who had, you know, various firearms. And uh, she, she just doesn't have the kind of arsenal that Amanda Nunes has. She, she just doesn't. Um, what she did have, though, is toughness, determination. We will get, get into that a little bit later. Yeah. But we know how tough Pennington is. Um, but she was outmatched in this fight. She really was. Um, Amanda Nunes, very simply, is running out of challengers in that division. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, Pennington was just kind of that next uh, woman in line. Uh, she just didn't have the skills to really challenge Amanda Nunes. She had the yeah. toughness. If Nunes started to get tired or maybe she started to make mistakes or maybe got overly emotional during the fight, maybe Pennington would be able to get in there and, and start to impose her game. But it, it just wasn't the case. Nunes really was firing on all cylinders. Um, she was the better fighter, and, and yeah. uh, you know, it showed in real. You got the undefeated Ketlin Vieta coming off a win over Kat Zingano, so fellow Brazilian there. She was there all week, guest fighter. I'm not sure the promotion would have the appetite for that fight right now, but again, if Kat Zingano had won that fight, perhaps she would have been in this position. Right. So uh, the Chris Cyborg fight is out there, but again, I don't know. This is a That's a, a commitment for Amanda Nunes, right? Do you want to chase Bantamweight greatness, uh, or do you want to chase that super fight? And I think the short answer is you want to chase the money and the super fight, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, and be less concerned with that record, um, you know, which Demetrius Johnson, of course, prioritized. I think Amanda Nunes is going to prioritize money. And I just would like to see her get ample time to prep for a cyborg fight to add some size because that's a huge fight. I mean, that yes. is a massive fight. It's a huge fight. And you never know when that opportunity is going to come and when it's yeah. going to go, yeah. you know, and, and that's the thing. So uh, in this sport, you know, crazy things happen. Injuries happen. Uh, you know, timing gets thrown off. So if that is an opportunity that is available to her, yes, she should take it. But I also agree with you that she should take some time to get bigger. Um, you know, again, if, if you see someone like Pennington in there who's able to take those shots, Cyborg ate some big shots from Holly Holm, uh, ate some big shots and, and a couple other fights, and it seems like nothing phases her. Not, not, she doesn't yeah. really get hurt. So for Nunes, she's going to have to add some size, um, be a little bit more precise with those strikes and, and get some power in there as well. And add good size because, yes. you know, there, you can add bad size too. That's All right. right, so... You know, we knew at the time this was going to be a good storyline. You know, our, our UFC director, Anthony Giordano, thankfully was in the right corner when, when Raquel Pennington turned around and said that she was done. And I guess I should set up the story at least a little bit for the listeners in case you didn't order the pay-per-view over the weekend. But after round four in which Raquel Pennington got bludgeoned and, and presumably broke her nose, she said to her corner, ah, she was on the stool and then she got up. I watched it again this morning and she turned around and she said, I'm done. You know, I, I, I wish I had the exact quote, but her corner uh, willed her to stay in the fight. And you knew this is something, Kenny, that a lot of people are going to be talking about. Uh, at Kenny Florian on Twitter, uh, rather succinct here, I might add, a corner should stop a fight if a fighter says they've had enough. That's your thesis statement. Largely, it's mine on this. I mean, I can understand parts of the other side, but uh, the floor is yours, kid. I, I would have liked to have seen her corner prevent her from further damage, uh, and, and they went in the other direction, and, and here we are talking about it. Well, it was you that very quickly pointed that out, so well done on that, John. Um, and, yeah, I Again, you know, people get it twisted here, all right? Raquel Pennington, if you know anything about her, you know she's a very, very tough human being. She's dealt with some serious injuries. Um, yep. I think she had a broken back. She had a broken uh, fibula before and, and, and powered through a fight. If a fighter as tough as Raquel Pennington says, you know what, 
I'm done. I've had enough. And you have the intelligence to see what is going on in rounds one through what? Was it between four and five? Yes. Where she, yeah, and if you're seeing rounds one through four, and you're seeing that your fighter really does not have much of a chance at all, mm-hmm. and Raquel Pennington isn't that one-punch knockout artist, or Good that point. if you're on the mat and in 10 seconds Raquel Pennington with her jiu-jitsu can take you out, then you have no business being in a corner, I'm sorry, because you just don't know the game. You don't know the fighting game. And if right. you have a fighter that knowingly has been in there a lot of times in the octagon and says, I'm done, I've had enough, I want out, you have to let him out. W- what are you doing? What are you going to prove out there? And well, again, that's my, right. you, you know what I mean? And then we saw it. We saw exactly what was going to happen in the fifth round. She was mentally defeated. If your fighter is mentally defeated and saying they want out, that's a different story than saying, I don't know what's going on out there, coach. Help me right. out out there. I'm not right. landing anything. What do I need to do to win this fight? That's where you go and, hey, listen, get focused here. This is what you got to do, blah, 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 blah. This is what's happening. If a fighter wants out, you don't go and try to convince him to keep fighting. <laughs> Why? Who are you? The fight, it's the fighter's job to know whether they want to fight or not. It's the right. corner's job to go out there and protect the fighter. That's your number one job as a corner, period. Right. Well, the corners certainly left themselves open to criticism by not offering technical advice, right? If they are yeah. going to send her back out there for starters, right. right? I understand the advice was throw everything you have, but everything she had uh, wasn't going to change what was happening here. I, I just, right, my question is what exactly are you trying to accomplish, right? Because, yeah. you know, some people suggest there's some part of quit when you get grounded and pounded and you lose the fight, when you sort of stop intelligently defending, right? Like the, the verb quit. Quit. Like what? What do you like? She so she that that would have been quitting on the stool. Like if well, she like right. that's not that doesn't that's well, the you need a new verb if you're going to say that what Raquel Pennington was trying to do is quit. Exactly, exactly. And and you know for that fighter, you know, in that corner, it, it's you got to take ego out of the equation here. Okay, if the corner is doing that because they don't want to look bad as a team that their fighter quit, get out of the sport. Get out of the yeah. sport because it's yeah. about protecting your fighter first and foremost. That's it. Take your ego out of it. And and so, for some of those people, like a fighter, a fighter's fight. But where do you stop? Where do you stop? It, it, now let's let's take it. Let's take a little step further. For those fighters that say they're a fighter and they should keep on going. Okay, let's say you can't lift up your arm. Do you keep going? If you can't walk, do you keep going? If you're on the right. brink of death, do you keep fighting because you're a fighter? Where is that limit? Where do you right. stop? No, I, I mean, you, a lot of fighters have chimed in on this. The majority that I've seen on social media agree with the flow. Um, others feel strongly that the corner made the right decision. And, uh, you know, it's hard for me to see a lot of that side. Um, you know, I do think that there have been many instances in UFC history where a similar communication like this has happened but hasn't been caught on camera. And so maybe it isn't the big deal. You know, I think a big argument you're hearing on the other side, Kenny, is that this corner knows their fighter better than we do. Um, and sure. yes, that is true. But respectfully, I would say you set up a lot of her history. We know how tough she is right her leg got crushed by a fucking atv five months ago she had three surgeries after the misha tate fight an invasive one on her wrist she's healed from all these injuries right so 
Raquel Pennington is the one I trust in that situation, and she wanted exactly. out. And Tisha, Tisha Torres posted on Instagram that um, – and Tisha is Raquel's fiance, by the way, if you don't know that uh, – that both she and Raquel support the decision that was made to send her back out there. Um, and, and, of course, she went on to sustain unnecessary further damage. I, well, right. I, I, I would assume you think that for Raquel at this point, right, you're going to defend the corner. But I what do else believe – What else is she going to say? What else is right. she going to say? You know, right. yeah, you know what? Well, my coach is a dickhead. And, uh, you know, he, he really doesn't know the game very much. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's tough. And, and again, you know, the, the corner, maybe they don't have the most experience or, or whatever it is. Maybe they do have a lot of experience. I don't know. Yeah. But either way, it's pretty simple. She was getting beat throughout the whole fight. She didn't have the skills to compete with someone like Nunes. It, to start the fight, uh, you know, like as far as what she showed during that fight, she didn't show it. So if, yeah. if it was a close fight and she's right there, I would say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can you argue that she won one of those rounds? No, no. no. And, and there she, were a couple. She was limping. Her leg was messed up. She had a yeah. broken nose that was really bad. Yeah. And she was getting outstruck and outgrappled. Come on. And not to mention that her friend, Amanda, Amanda Nunes, like, you know, how much damage would you like me right. to inflict upon my friend here? Um and, you know, just – and, oh, we got Longo on the line. But, I just, you know, sort of this whole thing about, like, the regret, the lifetime regret of, of quitting in a title fight. Like, she didn't quit in a title fight if that's how the fight ends. So right. uh, that is just not a narrative that I can get behind whatsoever. whatsoever. And uh, I think Longo is probably a pretty good guy to uh, talk about this with. So uh, let's give him his whole fancy intro. intro. Raymond, Peter, Longo. Now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. So the cardio killer Ray Longo, I mean, he pushes his fighters, Kenny. I know you push him, Ray, during the weight cut or during training. The question is, if they tell you they're done after round four of a championship fight that they're getting crushed in, uh, you send them back out there? Yeah, that that look. That's a tough. First of all, I think everything on this case as a coach is an individual thing, and who knows what their relationship is. Was I thought they were given a good advice during the fight. I think mm -hmm. Roxy, if she was having any successes when she was moving forward against the cage, she was just you know getting picked apart. Uh, you know, I, I, he, my first thought was, why don't you just tell the ref I'm done? I don't know why she went to the corner. I just really wish she would either told the ref I'm done and he stops the fight, or mm -hmm. she goes to the corner, my nose is shot, I can't breathe, and then I think they would have definitely stopped the fight. You know, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I, it, it's a well, weird one. I, I, right. I, I, look, I walk in last night, to, I, I, I train with a girl that's got like 25, 30 fights at this point. First thing she says, if I tell you I'm done in the corner, what would you do? I said, with you, I would stop the fight. Plus, I know your injuries. If you tell me your neck is killing you, that fight's over. Like, you know what I mean? I know what the injuries are for everybody. If they even, you know, in, you know, insinuate that that's where the problem is, that fight is 100% yeah. over. But we don't really know what their relationship is. Maybe during sparring, you know, she wigs out a little bit and they get her back in there scented. But Kenny brings up a good point. Definitely in a close fight, it would have been different, but... She was getting beat, but, man, I always want to be optimistic, and who knows? It's MMA. Anything could happen. But if a person says that they're done, at the end of the day, it's just not a good thing, and the fight should have been – they should have stopped it. Yeah, and but, Ray, you know, don't you think she was kind of like looking at her corner and going, 
hey, guys, help me out here. Yes, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, Like, I don't want to be the one to tell the referee, you guys are my freaking corner. Help me out. No, but the the point is the damage is already done. It's recorded. You know what I mean? So either she could have just went to the referee and said, I'm done. I think that would have made it simple. It would have been over, and everybody would have understood it. You know, by turning around, it caused more of a problem because whatever they, you know, it's sort of like, again, you're not saving face by having the corner save you at that point. You're telling them, I don't want to be here. You know what I mean? So I think, and who knows with the rules? Maybe the corner can't even stop the fight. I don't even know at this point. You know, whatever. Well, but, well of course, yeah. You know, right, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, with everything nice going on, you know, maybe. Some outside referee will come in and go, no, 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 but you Ray. can't do that. No, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You know, they go to the videotape and they said, no, she didn't say she was done. She said, you know, I'd like to run. Right. You know what I mean? But it, you don't know. That's what I'm saying. There's a couple of things. But at the end of the day, it's not a good thing. She doesn't want to be there. She's in with a killer. Uh, get her out of there. Uh, you know, I think. Lift the fight the, another day was was my, you know, my thing. Because, yeah. again, you're yeah, fighting yeah. a killer like Amanda Nunes, man. Yeah. And she was getting you gotta, beat for I four think rounds. I that has to be taken into consideration. Certainly mm-hmm. if that was a close fight and you can make an, an adjustment. And I just want to say, I'm back in the corner because I do think they gave her good advice. I think when she was pushing Nunes back, she was having the, any success she was having was at that point yeah. in the fight. So if she would have kept doing that. I would have loved to have seen what would have happened, but I think she took some, you know, damage early that just started mounting up, and then it became a disaster by, like, round four. Yeah. Uh, I do think it's interesting, though, that for Raquel, I do think, to Kenny's point, and then we can move on, she was going to her her corner as if to say, help me, right? Like, if the corner camera, Ray, is in the other corner at that point in time, right? If we're in the red corner with Amanda Nunes and that doesn't get caught on camera, she's looking for her corner to get her out of the fight to not have to go in the middle and publicly tell the referee. Now, yes, you're right. It's all documented, and in this instance, it was, but there have been instances in UFC history where conversations like this presumably have happened uh, and corners have either stopped fights or not. We saw Trevor Whitman stop a fight with Nate Marquardt, and largely I think the three of us are in agreement that we'd like to see it happen more on that side than this side yeah yeah exactly i'll go I'll, I'll totally agree with that you know it's just it, it look i'm normally on the other side i'm trying to sometimes say like i remember i, I always tell that story you know because i know what i do with the fighters and i know where they're at and you know i told matt you want me to stop the fight he said he would kill me right in the corner he goes you're not stopping right, you're def- right. you know it's always the other way around and even in the i quint the fight with khabib i know we trained for three rounds and i know we didn't do any defensive wrestling, and the guy got kind of mauled in the first two rounds, but he dug down deep, and he wasn't going anywhere. You'd have to kill that guy. So, look, it's a sport that you know what you're signing up for. This is not bad yeah. hitting. This is really bad. Yeah. I wish you – I'm telling you, if she would have said, my nose is shot, I can't breathe, that guy stops the fight. Well, right. You know what I mean? I'm saying if she would have just couched it a little bit or – You're right. I think you're it absolutely been an right. Decision, you know what I mean? Because nobody's going to want to – if you're saying you can't do it because of X, Y, and Z, then it, the fight is 100% yeah. over. But, you right. know, I've, I, had, yeah. I've had fighters, you know, say stuff that I know it's mental with them, and I said, dude, you just got to go through it. You know what I mean? I, I'm not saying yeah. this was the case, but at the end of the day, it just wasn't a good sign. And, and, and again, you got to err on the side of safety and say, yeah. you know – the fight's over and, you know, whatever. But that's, I don't know their relationship. I think that's the other key ingredient. And the fact that yeah. Pennington now has come out and said they did the right thing. And and she could easily, and I, that's what I'll disagree with. She could easily say they sucked and I'm leaving. That's yeah. easy. Look what, you know, Joanna did that with the weight people. They fucked right. my, weight, my weight cut up and I'm leaving. 
So well, right. Kenny Pickett say, listen, man, I don't like what they did. They didn't yeah. have my safety yet. You know, if that's what she felt, then she could get out of there. But she's choosing not to say that for a reason. I think only she can answer some of the questions that we're talking about, too. You know, and right. in sure. all fairness, I think we'd have to give the corner enough time. You know, give the, let's yeah. see, let's hear their take on it. You know, but definitely yeah. a bad scene. And you know, like I told the girl last night, I said, no, I would have stopped the fight if you tell me because I know who you are. I know that right. you would never want to say that. That would be the, enough for me to go. The fight's over. I'm here to protect you. All right, and a lot of us feel like Raquel Pennington's one of the toughest human beings on the exactly. planet. And to your point, Ray, had she said, my nose is shattered, uh, they probably yeah. stopped the fight. It, it's a, that fight's 100% over for sure. So uh, I don't know what else you got on UFC 224. Co-main uh, event ended up being uh, the fight of the night, which I thought was surprising on a night where there were 11 finishes. Uh, great fight, of course, between Jacare yeah. Souza and Kelvin Gastelum. Yeah. I thought KG won the fight and deserved the split decision. Uh, your thoughts on the co-main uh, or anything else that we saw in Rio over the weekend? Yeah. Uh, hey, real quick, let me just tell you, for all the geniuses out there, uh, <laughs> you see Carl Robinson? That's what you look like when you're out. You're laying lifeless on the mat. You're not giving a thumbs <laughs> up when the guy's touching your arm. You're not rolling around saying, I'm not out. Trying to. That's what it looks like. You're lifeless. You're not moving. Just just for the record. So for all Thank the you. Guys, Thank you, Ray. Yeah, for all the guys that could tell, you know, in the eighth <laughs> row that somebody was out in the fight, that's what it looks like right there. <laughs> I don't know if I'm making my point, guys. Yeah, but, uh, yes, but anyway, I love it. Back to, yeah, I mean, Kenny, you know what I'm saying? That's what it looks like, Kenny. Uh, exactly. You're laying out exactly. like a stiff. <laughs> yep. You're not moving. You're not riding your bicycle through Central Park. You're, you're freaking out. Done. Period. Yeah. Uh, but again, <laughs> what do I know? I mean, these guys are medical. These guys are neurologists, I guess. <laughs> You're going to get uh, me in trouble, right? Uh, the co-main event was awesome, man. I Look, I can't say enough about Gastelum. I think what makes this guy great is he probably is a natural 170 guy, and he is just running through people. I mean, definitely a close fight. Uh, Jocko Race showed a lot of heart. He landed some big punches to no effect. The guy, the other guy's got a granite chin at yeah, this point. Uh I don't know. Yeah, it was a great fight. And Kelvin, uh, Kelvin's tough, you know. He survived on the floor, which I didn't think he would do. I thought the fight was going to be over when it hit the floor. But power to him. You know, he did get up. And, you know, I don't think it was his best performance. But I think that was part because Jacare was having a good night. He just didn't have the gas to, to pull it off. He just looked, you know, even after the second round, look at him walking back to the corner. You know, that didn't yeah. look good. So right. uh, he powered through it. Uh, and I thought it was a good fight. All right, we're sending a camera crew, a Fox Sports crew, with Kenny Florian to Garden City, New York, and the two of you are going to film a quick thing. He's going to have two minutes to try to submit you with an Ezekiel choke. <laughs> oh, man, I got to tell you. I don't, I, I don't think he's going to have much trouble with that. I didn't even know. <laughs> Dude, that that was pretty cool. That was crazy. I don't know if I could actually do that, like what, like yeah, yeah. like he did. That was crazy, man. Yeah, because some of those chokes, your arms just feel like they just you can't get the leverage to yeah. do them. But that was, wow, that was really crazy, man. That was really cool. That was good. But uh, yeah, if we start like a hundred yards apart for two minutes, and he has to like catch me as I'm running. <laughs> oh, away. I see. Yeah, if we do that, he's, I, I think I'm going to win. But starting no, on the put floor, you in a cage. We're yeah. not going to put you on a football field to, to have a fight. I mean, you're in a cage, right? <laughs> I'm gonna, then I might have to do the old uh, defense. I choke myself so he can't choke <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah, you know I, mean? I believe it. 
Uh, all right. Well, you look great. Have a great week. Thank you for your time and your insight as usual. And uh, we will talk to you next Monday unless you have anything else on the tip of your no, tongue. Weidman Jockaday? What was that? Weidman going to fight Jockaday or you think uh, uh, fight like for the belt? What do you like, want to do? Yeah, that looks like where it's heading, though, at this mm. point. I got to see who's available and how his – you know, rehab goes with his thumb. He's definitely working out. I see him about four times a week now. So yeah, he's mentally great. where he wants to be as far as having like a cast on his hand. So just keeping him ready to go. So when the injury's done, he'll be, uh, he won't have to, you know, we won't have to get him in shape. You know, he'll be in shape at that point and we'll take it from there. But it looks like that's yeah. going to be the fight they're going to make because Gastelum's already said he wants to wait for, uh, for the, the winner of Romero and, Whitaker. uh, uh, Whitaker. Whitaker, yeah, yeah, you know, so we'll right. see. But it's, uh, I tell you what, it opens up that whole division, man. If I'm Chris White, I'm licking my, I'm licking my chops yep. right now. Of course, because you, know, you got to, yeah, yeah. I think it puts him right back into where he wants to be. And wow, I mean, that's that's good. It's exciting. Yeah. All right, buddy. Have a good week. All right, you too, guys. Thanks, Ray. All right, bye. Well, for sure, the fact that two of three judges saw that for Gastelum benefits Chris Weidman because he beat Kelvin, yes. finished him in his last fight where size really mattered in the middleweight division. I thought Ray hit on an important point there, Kenny, because most of us agree that Gastelum, to make 170 pounds down a division at welterweight, is not some huge ask, right? Like, we're not asking this guy to emaciate himself, if that's the right word, you know? Like, I am starting to believe he can be a champion at 185 pounds, but this isn't some, like, massively sized welterweight that people are begging to stare death in the face to go make a run at welterweight. Like, I really think he might be able to be a champion two divisions and because he doesn't have the benefit of looking into the future he doesn't know maybe which one would be better for him at this point well listen and guess what uh neither is robert whitaker you know what i mean so if mm -hmm. he's able to get in there uh and beat a guy like a robert whitaker or, or match up against someone like whitaker if he gets through romero yeah i agree and initially i said i don't think he could be a champion on 185 pounds he's knocking on that door He's knocking on that door and proving me wrong. I think he could be a champ at 170, no doubt about it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's very close to becoming a champ at 185 now, which is uh, very impressive. Listen, that fight between Kelvin and Jacare, though, it could have gone either way. I, I thought Jacare mm -hmm. was maybe going to get the nod. It was in Rio. He sure. When I look back on the fight and I look at the significant moments in that fight, I, I point to two things. It looked like Jacare was hitting Kelvin harder than he was getting hit. He was aggressive on the ground. He got the superior position. That first round potentially, potentially could have been close to a 10-8. Could have been a 10-8. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really close fight. But here's the other thing that was significant during that fight. Jacare looked exhausted during that fight. In the yeah. second round, he got rocked, yep. obviously. Um, he, he was obviously stepping in potholes in that second round. Um, you know, was lucky to make it to the third and just overall just looked like he was really tired, whereas Kelvin didn't. And any time Kelvin yeah. did get hit with what looked like a big shot, yes. it looked like nothing even phased him. He was fine. His head would fly back, and he'd just I keep mean. pressing forward. That dude, he's got a horse neck, man. That was crazy. Dude, I mean, <laughs> literally, I'm just writing this note down, and then it came out of your mouth. I mean, Jacare would <laughs> throw what is a middleweight power shot yeah. at an undersized middleweight, and the guy's head – literally doesn't budge he has so, no neck I'm, his neck should be on a milk uh, carton because i mean it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy right. yeah. so i'm sitting right there and i'm cheating the monitor but i'm watching the monitor most of the time but if yeah. you're a judge watching that right it's like 
it, it, you're, it's like you're like, well, what what's behind that shot if right. the, the kid's head's not even moving, you know? In that third round, I think there's an argument to be made for sure that Sosa won that round. But it just seemed like big picture when, when Kelvin was landing, it was having more of an impact. And Gaslam <sighs> fighting at his natural weight and, uh, you know. Absolutely, absolutely, man. And, and you know, there's probably like a maybe twenty to fifty percent uh, of the fight where it comes down to acting skills in a way, right? And it's like yeah. as acting like you're not tired, acting sure. like you're not hurt. Uh, you know, moving around the octagon with a certain air of confidence. That all those things play a factor with the judges. And Jacare no wasn't able to do that. And I think Jacare was not the more technical striker. Uh, but he was uh, the guy who probably hit harder, and he was the better grappler. The problem is he made some really poor decisions during that fight, shooting in without really setting up the takedown, shooting in from way too far. To me, it looked like Jacare was extremely nervous. You know, it, it yeah. seemed, again, I don't know if it was fighting in Rio or whatever it is. We've seen him a little jumpy in the, in the past. Yeah. But, again, it shows that he's not yet so comfortable fighting yeah. in the octagon. Certainly not even half as, as comfortable as he is when he's got a gi on or he's competing in um, you yeah. know, submission wrestling yeah. or Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Well, I, and, and having sat down with Jacare on Thursday, I can tell you he was so comfortable and confident fighting Derek Brunson. He knew he had the perfect game plan, went out and executed it and got the job done very early. And I think a big part of what you're, you're suggesting is the opponent, right? I don't think it's fighting in Rio for the first time as a mixed yeah. martial artist. He had a lot of big moments at the Worlds. And, you know, this wasn't some crazy crowd either, too. And right. we'll get into a little bit of that later. And we will get back to uh, where Jacare goes from here at 38 years old because I think – Asking him to get into a championship situation now is a big ask at 38. Um, we will get to Mackenzie Dern and, and everything else at 224 in a minute, but uh, we're going to get to the chili picks now and then circle back. So uh, let's get to the predictions in your main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Well, if you want to fast forward 10 minutes and hear us continue to talk about 224 and circle back, you're not going to offend me. But you better circle back because I think we have a good guest picker today. But before we get to him, we update the standings, of course. Aye, aye, aye. So Team Anik led at 48-36 heading into UFC 224. Yeah, not a great week for you, Ken, but it was okay. Not too bad. So you went head-to-head with Matthew Holt um, by virtue of his underdog play on Cesar Mutanchi Fajeda. Holt takes the week 5-4. Overall lead 53-40 to no. for Team Anik. We're coming up on June 1, ladies and gentlemen. This is a real good thing. That's not Ken good. Flo's going to have to get a tattoo on his neck. Dude. No, that was not the bet. <laughs> uh, joining us to make picks today for the UFC Chile card this weekend Kenny, we're going to the land of the 617, the 508. Oh, He's actually got a 978 number. Those were not around when Kenny and I were growing up yes. in Massachusetts. But uh, Celtics are playing so goddamn well right now. We had to go to New England for this week. And joining us, uh, Jimmy Ubley. Jimmy, my man, appreciate your time today, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, John. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Our pleasure, man. So we got three main card selections, time permitting some quick picks. So UFC Santiago Chile for the first time. Ken Flo will not be there. Kamaru Usman will be there. He'll take on Damian Maya in the main event. So first pick for us, though, we'll, we'll start with uh, a featured bout here. UFC light heavyweight division. Dominic Reyes, Jared the Killer Gorilla Cannoneer. 
No betting line right now here on Monday morning. Reyes, though, will be favored against Cannoneer, I would assume. He was an outstanding football player, legitimate NFL aspirations. Um, undrafted, uh, now undefeated as a mixed martial artist. He's 8-0. Um, lost two of three, has Jared Cannoneer decisions against Glover Teixeira and most recently Jan Blahovich. So Cannoneer as underdog or you going the other way with the favorite Reyes, Jimmy? Yeah, uh, this is one of those fights where you have <clears throat> a hyped prospect really taking a pretty big step up in competition, uh, and, and this should give us a pretty good read as to where he really stands in the division. Um, Reyes has looked like a killer in his first couple of fights, and, and in his fights before that. I think he has seven out of eight first-round finishes, uh, but Cannonier is a veteran, and, and each of them have their own power, so Either one of these guys, in theory, could finish the other if they land clean. Um, but I'm pretty sure neither of them have been finished, actually, in this weight class. Cannoneer's only time being finished was at heavyweight, I believe. So right. uh, neither one really has vulnerable, vulnerability in their chin, necessarily, that we've seen, at least. Um, the one weakness that kind of stands out with Cannoneer is, is his grappling. And he gets taken down pretty easily in a lot of his fights. Um, we don't really have a big sample size on Reyes in that department, but last fight he did land a takedown, take the back, maintain control, and ultimately find this submission. Um, I'm a little bit nervous about the gas tank being unproven with Reyes, and I've gone mm -hmm. back and forth, but I'm going to say that uh, Reyes keeps the hype train rolling here. Uh, don't think it'll be quick and easy like his previous fights, but I'll say Reyes second-round TKO. All right, Reyes by second round TKO. Ken Flo, Dominic Reyes, the devastator because the dominator was taken. That is the truth. Uh, he respects Dominic Cruz a lot, and he deferred, so he is the devastator. Uh, not a great nickname. I think this could be a great fighter. I think he's got a championship frame for 205 pounds. Um, certainly a winnable fight for him here, one that on paper I think a lot of people expect him to win. Cannoneer's got the UFC experience, seventh UFC fight for him. Has some up at heavyweight, of course. He's going to be motivated. I talked to him after that. Blahovich fight in Winnipeg in December. I, I think you're going to see Cannoneer's best here. The question, Flo, will it be enough against uh, Dominic Reyes? Yeah, we definitely need to see Cannoneer's best. Um, there's a lot of question marks, though, with Dominic Reyes. You know, that that's the only problem. I, I don't know really how good he is. He hasn't quite faced the kind of level of competition that Cannoneer has. Um, Cannoneer, we know about his striking uh, prowess. He hits very hard. Um, you know, when I look at them, they are very similar um, but race, I, I think has to have the grappling advantage. So, you know, I, I'm going to go with Dominic. I, I think he gets it done. Your boy, Joe Stevenson in the corner. Yes. Of one Dominic race, right. Joe Stevenson, Ken flow victim. We talk about Kenny's opponents that he beat on the show a lot. Co-main event <laughs> in Chile. Uh, another strong showcase for the best division in women's MMA. I'm very excited about this fight. It's one that jumps off the card for me. 12th-ranked Tatiana Suarez, minus 190. 9th-ranked Alexa Grasso, plus 165. Jimmy, who do you like here at strawweight, Suarez or Grasso? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, th this has been one that I've been looking forward to and um, <clears throat> setting an alert to make sure I'm notified when the odds got released. Um, I, I think the line is still a little bit off here. Um, <clears throat> Grasso did have a lot of hype coming into the UFC, but obviously took a step back against police, uh, but a lot of people are still pretty high on her. And um, Grasso clearly has a striking advantage, but I'm pretty high on Tatiana Suarez in this weight class. 
and I think she can go pretty far just based on wrestling alone. Um, I think in order to beat her, you really need to be able to stuff her takedowns or have the power to make her respect you. Um, <clears throat> I think you really need to look into the top five of this division to find a woman who may be able to do that. Uh, Grasso may be able to land some shots, but I'm thinking Suarez can really, if necessary, just kind of walk right through them and be able to get her takedowns without much of an issue. Uh, Grasso did give up two takedowns to Herrig, four to Randa Marcos, and with Suarez, we're really talking about just a totally different level as far as takedowns. Uh, I'm thinking once it gets to the ground, Suarez will be able to advance and eventually get a submission here. So my pick will be Suarez with a lot of confidence here, uh, second-round submission. Look at Jimmy fucking bringing it from Massachusetts. What town do you live in, James? I live in Tingsboro. You're goddamn right you live in Tingsboro. I mean, do you see this, Ken Flo? Where are you do finding you see this? Where are you finding these guys, these Anik? Numbers, he w- these Anik isn't numbers. satisfied with, like, the 15-point the lead. He wants 40 <laughs> by the end of the year. <laughs> I mean, and it's tough. You get someone like Jimmy, you want to bring him back next week. But, you know, we got to go to the queue. Um, Kenny, on this fight, Tatiana Suarez, she's going to fight for a UFC championship. You know, clip off the audio. She's going to fight for a UFC title. She's less experienced uh, 5-0 and right now, so undefeated. Grosso's last five fights have gone the distance. Suarez, I think, you know, long-term is going to be the better finisher. Um, last fight for Grosso, split decision win over my girlfriend, Randa Marcos. That was August, Mexico City of last year. Um, Kenny, I think Suarez can wrestle and grapple her way to a UFC title shot within 18 or 24 months here. I think right. the ceiling is very high on Grosso as well. Um, but Suarez, I think, deserves the distinction as the favorite this weekend. Yeah, this is one of these fights, in my opinion, where you know two fighters that are meeting each other, you, you kind of get the sense that the one who wins this one is really going to rise to the top, and I think Suarez is going to be that, that fighter. Um, I think Suarez, with her wrestling, just having that level of wrestling in that division is going to take her very far. I think Suarez gets it done with her wrestling um, I think probably a little bit later, probably in the third round, maybe gets a submission or a TKO. Uh, but Grasso is dangerous on the feet. So uh, Suarez yeah. has to be careful when she gets on the inside. If she's on the inside, she better be looking for a takedown. Oh, no doubt. Grasso's got some tools. I didn't yeah. mean to be so one-sided in my analysis, but I do like Suarez a bunch. All right, main event, Kamaru Usman, minus 400. Damian Maya, plus 300. Uh, we'll need the round of the method of victory here, fellas, if you don't mind. Maya stepping in here. It's about three and a half or four weeks' notice for Santiago Ponzinibbio. Usman, 7-0 and in the UFC. Only knock on him, I guess. I mean, Ken Flo, I'm sure, has plenty of technical knocks on all these guys, but five of his last six have six wins have been by decision. So finishes haven't been there. Maybe the highlight reel isn't there. You know I think he's a beast. You know on any given Saturday night I think he could be the best welterweight in the world. Uh, Jimmy, he draws Damian Maya this weekend. You go in favorite or underdog in the main event? Yeah, um, I heard you guys talking about this one a couple weeks ago. Um, and I think, I, I think I'm picking the same person as Kenny, but I, I think I have a little bit of a different take on it. Um, I think this is definitely Usman's fight to lose. Uh, Maya's really shown that if he can't get the takedown and really control you, maybe submit you, um, <clears throat> if he can't get the takedown either in space or push you up against the fence, drop to a single, find a way to get it down, um, those are the fights where he just really struggles. And I think that after Saturday, Maya's going to have had the three toughest stylistic matchups back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, going from yep. Woodley to Covington to Usman. 
um, really the three best wrestlers at 170. And <clears throat> Usman may not have the Division One credentials like those guys, but he excelled in Division Two, and his wrestling is very much on the level of those guys. Uh, Woodley and Covington both fought smart, and they really used their wrestling defensively to keep it standing, not shooting takedowns and playing into Maya's game. So I just think the blueprint is right there, and Usman is smart enough to stick to it. Uh, at the same time, Usman's stand-up has been improving, and really, you mentioned the lack of finishes. With the depth at 170 right now, he's feeling pretty overlooked. Um, he knows that he needs a strong performance here to make himself stand out and climb that ladder. Uh, I know Maya did go to decision with both Woodley and Covington, but I really think Woodley definitely could have finished him if he got after it. Um, this is a five-rounder. I think Usman has a little bit more power than Colby. Um, I'm thinking after going over 21 and then over 13 for takedowns in his last two fights, uh, I think we're going to see Maya roughly over 15 in the fourth round, getting pretty frustrated, already a little battered. I think Usman's going to land a big shot that leads to a finish. So I'll go Usman, fourth round, TKO. All right, Kamar Usman, fourth round TKO. And that finish would be useful because all of these welterweights are competing in these main events successively um, over the next several weeks, May and June. Of course, Thompson and Till, a big fight as well. So for Usman, you got to finish Damian Maya, I would think, if you want your next fight to be for the title. Uh, and, of course, you've got the interim welterweight championship uh, as well in this picture. Uh, all right, Ken Flo, Usman and Damian Maya. We will need the round and how they get it done. Which way are you going in the headliner in Chile? First of all, very impressed with, you, with your guest picker yet again oh, Jimmy, Jimmy is total stud has done his homework uh listen uh K Kamaro Usman benefits from those last fights as Jimmy mentioned um from Covington from Woodley you get two wrestlers who have laid down the blueprint of how to beat Damian Mai use your wrestling defensively keep it on the feet Usman we saw him knock out uh another world champ uh, before in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He kept it on the feet, knocked him silly, won that fight. Um, can he do the same against a larger opponent in Damian Maia? Yeah, I think he can. However, I think for Damian Maia, um, him being the bigger guy, him understanding he's taking this fight on short notice, he's got to get it done quickly. And, John, we can't forget that I'm getting my ass kicked here. I, I need right, to be able right, to get some kind right. of underdog pick. While right. I think that Usman should win this fight, I'm yeah. going to go with Damian Maia. One, because he's one of my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu heroes. And number yeah. two, I need the damn points. Let's go well, with Damian also, Maia, submission in round one. All right. Wow. I love it. I love the conviction, <laughs> too, in terms of the round one. But no, and I also think it's important that listeners understand for, for purposes of our scoring system, Maya wins, Kenflo gets four points. Uh, right. Usman wins, it's a one-point play, so there's that. And also, too, as we talk about in betting, you're betting the number and not the fighter here, right? right. So clearly you see some value in Damian Maya at plus 300, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it get get bet down a little bit before fight night. But uh, Kamaru Usman, uh, you know, I think deserves to get all the respect that he does from Las Vegas. And candidly, in some of these fights, Kamaru Usman is getting champion level respect from Vegas, and I think it's deserved. All right, quick picks from uh, Jimmy and Kenny here on the way out. Uh, welterweight, Chad Laprise, Vicente Luque. Luque's won five of six, and I think more importantly, he has finished his last four wins. couple of bonuses there. Uh, Laprise, another one of these guys, Ken Flo, fighting near his natural weight, thriving at 170 pounds. Jimmy, Laprise, Luque, who do you like? Yeah, if you just looked at their records, you probably think Laprise was going to run through him. But uh, <clears throat> I'm I'm taking Luke A. Darce Choke. 
All right, Vicente Luque with a Dars for Jimmy. Kenny, no betting line yet here, so we'll adjust accordingly on the back end. You going Luque or Laprise? I thought Jimmy was going to take the bait here on Laprise. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little disappointed, but yeah, I got to go with Luque as well. Uh, a very large welterweight. Um, he can strike as well to, to give Laprise problems. Sometimes Laprise get hit hit a little bit too much on the feet. Doesn't want to do that against the larger Luque. I think Luque gets it done. Also, the better grappler as well. Ken Flo doesn't back Canadians. He spent too much time up there. He doesn't. You know, <laughs> no, I'm a I'm fan of Laprise. I think he's undersized at 170, though. Tough and matchup a, for him. And I'm a fan of Canada. It's just <laughs> hockey season, so uh, you know. That's right. Um, all right, uh, Zach Cummings, Michelle Prezadish, Jimmy Prezadish, finally forced mercifully to go up to 170 pounds. You going uh, Prezadish or, or, or the bigger guy, Zach Cummings? <laughs> I'll admit this is pretty much just an emotional pick here. I'm going to go with Cummings. I think he's going to welcome him to the 170 division and just humble him a bit. Uh, he's, it's just one of those things where you get frustrated seeing guys miss weight time in and yeah. time out. And last time, especially, I mean, not even, you know, being remotely close. Um, so I'm looking for Cummings to use his size and kind of put, put Prezeras in his place. Kenny, Zach Cummings has a lot of experience, also has some experience not making weight in his own right or not making yes. it to the scale. I don't think he made it to the scale one time when you and I were in Macau, if I'm not mistaken, and right. then, of course, had the accident recently. Uh, he's a new father as well. Um, what do you think about Cummings and Prezetish? You know, Cummings is a solid fighter, been around the block, as he said. Um, good on the ground as well, but I do think Prezeris just a little bit better everywhere. Um, he will be certainly shorter, have a shorter reach as well. Uh, yeah. But Prezeris, man, he's very, very good. He's good he everywhere. Is. He is. He's tough. He's got a good chin as well. Uh, I think Prezeris gets it done. He's like 25 and 2. I yeah. mean, he, yeah, it's incredible what he's man. done. Uh, an asterisk, I guess, next to some of those wins for not making weight. All right, finally, featured prelim on Fight Pass. Good fight here at Featherweight. Enrique Barzola, the Peruvian, taking on Brandon Davis, uh, the Mississippi kid. Which way are you going here, Jimmy? Yeah, I'm curious to see what the line is on this one when it comes out. I've been a little bit back and forth here. I like how Brandon Davis looked in his last fight, really you know, showed, showed a bit of his striking. Um, but I kind of think that the opponent really was able to make it you know, appear that way, um, really highlight Davis's strength. I think Barzola is going to be able to land takedowns here and win a decision. All right, Barzola for Jimmy. Ken Flo, you're not going against the Peruvian, are you? No. I I, I mean, Jimmy's teasing me here. I thought he was going to go yeah. with Brandon Davis. I got all excited. Yeah. yeah, I think Barzola wins this. I hate that one of those guys has to lose that fight, honestly, because I think yeah. both of them can do some things. But uh, we'll see how it plays yeah. out. Barzola will probably be the favorite. All right, Jimmy, uh, you believe. I believe in Jimmy, you believe. What do you do for a living, by the way? Or are you independently wealthy, or do you work for a living? Yeah, I work uh, in software sales. All right. Well, you did a great job, man, and uh, you sound great and uh, obviously did your homework, and, and we appreciate that time and you listening. So uh, all the best. Enjoy the fights this weekend. And I would think maybe you'd be watching with uh, a little more vested interest because you're going head-to-head -head with uh, with one of the greatest lightweights of all time. I know. Counselor. I know. I don't want to let Team Anik down, so <laughs> I'm hoping, uh, hoping these come through. All right, buddy. Have a good week. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys, for having me. All right, and if you're ever in Southern California, it's May Rocky BJJ, right? <laughs> Tell them. Tell them. That's right, baby. Where are All you right, finding so these guys? Are you going to some, like, forum is, where, like, it's, incredible? like, MMA nerds where you're just, I, like, recruiting uh, these guys? What, what, what the hell are you doing? Well, it's not as though there haven't been some misses, but I have this cue right. 
of Anakin Florian podcast Jeez. listeners that are dying to come on here and either represent me or go head to head with you. And, uh, you know, it's working out. But, yeah, a guy like Jimmy who – the other thing, too, is when I get these East Coast guys while Ken Flo's sleeping or tending to his daughter, these guys are up studying all morning. Uh, you know, it's an advantage. I had a rough start to this year for my picks, and I just haven't been able to recover. Yeah. But uh, another six months left or so, so it's not completely yeah. gone. But All right. Yeah. So uh, back to UFC 224. So Kelvin Gastelum. This guy's becoming one of my favorite fighters. I'm not even supposed to say that, but I just love how relaxed he is, Kenny, during fight week. And I think some part of that is there's no weight cutting anxiety now competing as a middleweight. But he just has this penchant for rising to the occasion on fight night. And I know there are a lot of people out there that don't like the word clutch in professional sports. Fighting, I think, is a little bit different. But I think he has this sort of clutch gene and so many skills to go with it and the strength and conditioning now and the understanding at 26 instead of 21 that, you know, McDonald's isn't necessarily the way. I just think <laughs> even some slight changes that he has made uh, progressively over five years in the UFC are paying huge dividends. And I might cry if he gets a belt around his waist. That's how happy I'd be for this kid. Kelvin is a gamer. He, he showed it in the finale of The Ultimate Fighter really throughout that show. Uh, wasn't he like one of the last to be picked? Maybe the last? I think so, last pick, yeah. Yeah, won the whole thing. Uh, dominated, really, the whole tournament. Uh, yeah. And and we kind of knew we had something special. I, I don't know if we realize how special a fighter he is. Um, has done an amazing job in two weight classes. Uh, heart, determination, chin, uh, skills, uh, improving as a martial artist. So, uh, yeah, I'm really blown away by Kelvin, and uh, again, like I said before, he's knocking on the door to be a champion at 185 pounds. Rafael Cordero trained, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, a lot of good people with Kelvin Gastelum as well, and I would like to see his next fight be for the championship. You know, he has two wins since the Chris Weidman fight, right? He's distanced himself from that incredibly, I think, with the Bisping knockout, obviously, quickly, which he was supposed to do on paper, and then beating Jacare Souza uh, by split decision or otherwise, so... Uh, he thought and said during fight week that he felt like you finish Jacare, you get the title fight. I think he should get the title fight, and I hope that he gets it. And I think for Jacare Kenny, 38 years old, you know, he was staring at retirement with the torn pec and the appendicitis and everything else. And I think it was the championship aspiration that maybe resulted in him sticking around. I think short of being so happy in his new digs in Orlando that he wants to see if he can you know, keep it going for a few more. I just, I think that we're just going to have to be happy with the amazing, legendary career of Jacare Souza, but it's going to be without a UFC title. Yeah. Yeah, and so. it's unfortunate because I, I really felt like he had much more potential. I think, you know, he, he moves really well on the ground. He, you know, everyone talks about his athleticism, but boy, is he too stiff on, on, on his feet. He, it, mm -hmm. it just seems like he's just a little bit too robotic, uh, which takes away from his speed, takes away from his ability to really be competent with his defense. Um, and, yeah, again, he's 38 years old at this point. Yeah, an amazing career, legendary Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitor, one of the greatest to ever do it, period. That is not, you know, uh, an exaggeration. This guy right. is one of the greatest Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors ever. You look at his yeah. you look at his pedigree, look at what he's done in the sport, and then to come in and be as dominant as he was in mixed martial arts with, you know, not a huge knowledge of the striking game is very impressive. So right. uh, Jacare um, has nothing to be embarrassed about and, uh, you know, definitely will go down as a legend. All right, Mackenzie Dern. 
from one jiu-jitsu legend to the next. Yes. A lot to get to with Mackenzie Dern. She dominated the headlines, obviously, before UFC 224 by, by weighing in at 123.4 pounds. Yeah. For a strawweight fight, limit 116 pounds. She showed up in Rio de Janeiro at 140 pounds, and all reports and indicators are that she really wasn't training all that much for this fight. She was invited to leave the MMA lab by John Crouch, um, did some training in California. Uh, reports are she didn't really spar at all uh, for this fight, and I think walked in there sort of maybe physically to a lot of people looking like she hadn't prepared for the fight, but... Uh, Man, if she starts preparing for these fights, I think we might have something. <laughs> yeah, and again, if if Amanda Cooper was angry uh, before the fight, she's probably even angrier after the oh, fight. Man. You know, you know what I mean? It's just like, ah, oh, she's gonna come in almost <laughs> eight pounds heavier than me on the scale. Well, you know what? I'm gonna kick your ass anyway, and then she gets knocked down and gets choked, and it's like, ah, uh, well. You know, that was a rough one. And, again, <laughs> I, it's I'm a huge Mackenzie Dern fan. You cannot show up seven pounds heavier than your opponent on the scale. It's just it's something you shouldn't do. Um, I think for Mackenzie, she has a lot of maturing to do. And I think she's um, an excellent martial artist. She has to get focused, and she has to realize, first and foremost, this is a dangerous sport. And you have one bad fight, and if you don't prepare properly, um, you can get hurt. And you could probably yeah. not look the same after a fight. Right. Um, and, and you would hope that after that first fight, that first difficult fight against Ashley Yoder, that we were going to see a more mature Mackenzie Dern, a more dedicated, a more committed Mackenzie Dern. And we just didn't see that, which is unfortunate. I mean, she's a sweet person. She comes from a martial arts family. She's been competing her whole life. She knows what it takes to get to an elite level. This is where you can't be satisfied. This is where you need to take it to that next level. Um, and, again, that comes from a certain passion and love for the game. And you start to question, well, does she love it enough? Is she really here for the right reasons? And I hope that she is, and I hope that she realizes she is. Because there is so much work that needs to happen right. to be a world champion in anything. Um, yeah. So it was unfortunate to see that on weigh-in day. Um, obviously, there was a lot of, you know, talk about that. Hopefully, that was kind of her reflection to say, you know what, I got to get my act together. I got to be more of a professional. Yeah. And we'll see. Only time will tell. But, uh, you know, for her, this was hopefully a, a learning lesson um, for her. And, and uh, the UFC, I'm sure, kind of need, needs to put their foot down. I'm sure gave her an earful to let her know oh, uh, this yeah, is right. this is yeah. not acceptable. Right. I, yeah, if you think the UFC is happy, you got another thing right. coming. Um, a lot of people, Kenny, suggest that that Mackenzie Dern might need a loss, um, but I think it's fair yeah. for you to ask: Is she in this sport for the right reasons? And maybe a loss will allow her to crystallize that and ask that question. But going out and dusting Amanda Cooper in a few seconds isn't going to necessarily lead her down a path that makes her think she needs to put in these arduous six or eight week training camps. Right. I mean, a lot of people are calling her the female BJ Penn. You know, uh, just not, you know, obviously there's a lot of natural ability and, you know, some have suggested that BJ Penn in his prime at 155 pounds, not the top five guys like you, but BJ Penn could show up without a whole lot of pre-fight preparation. And uh, as long as he can, you know, battle the fight before the fight on Friday, beat almost anybody in the world without doing a lot of the things that other fighters need to do just to try to close that gap. Yeah. And again, BJ was able to do that when? 
early, kind of early in the sport, early in the in the mixed martial arts days, where you know people weren't so good at everything. But isn't it uh, early and, for and women? McKenzie? Exactly right. That's exactly what I was going to get to. It's okay. the same thing yeah, here sorry. with McKenzie, where she can get away with this because you know the women's divisions haven't been around for so long. So. Mm-hmm. But you know what? There's other people that are getting very talented, are getting a lot better, you know, uh, who, who can maybe deal with that submission game by just stopping the takedowns, like a Tatiana Suarez. If she's able to stop those takedowns and keep it on the feet and all those, all those things. And, and guess what? You can never win a title if you don't make weight, if you don't make championship yeah, weight. Right, so, right. Um, you know, she's, she's got some work to do. She's got some work to do. Yeah, well, we'll see what Mackenzie Dern chooses to do. You know, she has said from the beginning, Kenny, that she wanted to come in, win a UFC championship, defend it once, and go back to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Right. And, you know, she is a very strong-willed, strong-minded woman who wants to do what she's going to do, I think, in a lot of respects. And, uh, you know, she literally – she's crying, Kenny, as they're announcing her name. And yeah. then she just goes out and destroys. I mean, you talk about a big-game prime-time player. Like, she is very much that, you know? Like, she had to deal with a lot of shit. She put it all on herself. But once the bright lights come on, it's like – Unbelievable, and that's the value of competing thousands of times, or certainly yeah. uh, hundreds of times on the mat in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Several hundred, maybe a thousand matches or more, uh, with how she's been competing, how much she's been competing. But you know, for for her, she is very talented, a- and you know, we got to talk about her performance as well. It was a tremendous performance. She did certainly did not take the same amount of damage she did against uh, Ashley Yoder. Um, right. You know, she was able to land from the outside. She wasn't, you know, just kind of sitting in the pocket. She was moving her feet a little bit better. Um, still needs to move her head a lot better. But Amanda Bobby Cooper was supposed to be the better striker. Mm-hmm. She was the one who ate that huge shot. It was a beautiful overhand, landed right on the chin. And yeah. you just knew if McKenzie got yeah. her on the mat. I mean, anybody in that division, if McKenzie gets you on the mat, you're probably going to be tapping shortly after. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it, it was an excellent performance from McKenzie, but still, you, you have to look at what happened before that. Hopefully McKenzie right. is doing that um, and, and just it, it's better about her diet and her professionalism and preparation for a fight. No doubt Amanda Cooper can box. New striking coach, a Russian gentleman uh, by the name of Max, I believe. So she's been with him for about four months, I think four times a week. But I think maybe she was a little bit overconfident in terms of her striking advantage against someone as naturally gifted as Mackenzie Dern. I have one quick thing on jiu-jitsu because if I don't ask it now before we get to Vitor Belfort and Lyoto and Lineker and everybody else, I won't get back to it. So... You know, I love submissions. I love when fights end by submission. I find it to be the most fascinating way for these fights to end. So you had Cesar Mutanchi Fajeda uh, choking out Carl Robertson unconscious, right, with an arm triangle. You got a guy, a guy in Robertson, if you know anything about that guy, not the tapping type. Like, you're going to have to choke him to sleep, and Mutanchi was able to do so. Alexi Olenek with an Ezekiel choke, which we will certainly get to. Mackenzie Dern with just trademark jiu-jitsu with the rear naked choke. Marcus Perez, a Damian Maya-trained fighter, getting a big submission win against James Boknovic, who is also a jiu-jitsu fighter under Luis Claudio, right? So that's a, that's a, a nice submission for me, too, when you can submit a jiu-jitsu guy. Yes. It's just nice for me to see that jiu-jitsu still has a place here, and I think I'm not going to put this right, Kenny, but I feel like more than some of the other arts, when when you're when you're really dominant for some of these guys, like for Davi Hamosh, right, he is so confident that if he gets any of these lightweights in the world to the mat with enough time on the clock, 
that it is game over. And it's all he said during fight week, and it was very much game over for him against Nick Hine. And um, I don't know. It's nice to see jiu-jitsu coming back a little bit, right? There's levels to this game. There's levels to this game in a variety of ways, obviously, with there being so many different modalities and striking, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, all that stuff, right? So um, Davi Hamos has been one of the top competitors in the world. You look at the Mackenzie Derns, the Jacare Sozas, all that. You know, there's such a huge difference between being a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner and a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And there's an even larger difference between a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and a world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And then you have the world champion black belt. There's there's many different levels, and and you could see it. Um, And I also feel like, you know, the sport is evolving so much. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is evolving so much, as is mixed martial arts. There's so much knowledge out there. Um, And I think it's a knowledge-based game. That's what people forget. It's like some people think about, well, I got to just train harder, bro. I just got to go hard. No, it's a knowledge-based game. And there's superior knowledge out there. If you're getting that superior knowledge, you're going to have an advantage over your opponents. Um, And I think that this sport is getting better. Um, and you just have to seek out that knowledge. And you can see the difference with someone who is good on the ground and someone that is elite on the ground. Um, yeah. and, and that goes with anything, whether it's striking or wrestling. Uh, there's levels to this, man. And, and it's great to see Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu understand the mixed martial arts approach a little bit better and be able to take advantage of it. So how about this Alexio Lenick and this Ezekiel choke? Is this not the most incredible thing in the world? I mean, if you heard my call, it was just like, oh, my God. And, and, and right? it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if he gets, you know, he just literally just flops to his back like, like a sack of potatoes, just falls. He'll let you mount you, let you get the half guard, the in guard. Doesn't matter. He's going to tap you out. In 30 seconds, he's covered in blood. And let's actually go before the fight. So, I, you know, I talked to American top teams, Dan Lambert, uh, oh. great guy, by the way, after the fight. Mm-hmm. And this guy. Alexi Olenek can barely walk, Kenny, right. okay? Let's be honest about this. Can we, please? Uh, right? Man. Like, they, like you should see the guy warm up, right? Right. Limping around, takes a couple punches, bloodbath, right? Like, bloodied up in 30 seconds, right, in this fight, pulls guard, and gets this Ezekiel choke going on a, on a jiu-jitsu brown belt in junior baby Albini. I can't speak extensively on his jiu-jitsu background. I don't yeah. think Albini's super long on jiu-jitsu tournament experience. Sure. But people are just so dismissive, even in training at ATT, of this Ezekiel choke. You know, I had Jimmy Smith, my broadcast partner, put me in, in an Ezekiel choke so I could sort of feel, I guess, the maybe the back of the hand on the throat or yeah. whatever. It's not pleasant. Yeah. Um, dude, what is going on with this Ezekiel choke, man? Uh, he has a, an unusual amount of strength to be able to do it. He's got long yep. forearms, elbow to wrist length in order to do it and pull it off. Um, and it's just one of those moves that he knows extremely well. He knows it better than everyone, and it's not something you see every day. In combat, you know, anytime you're seeing something for the first time, you're probably not going to respond so well to it. And and he's bringing in this weapon uh, into the mixed martial arts realm that guys just really haven't seen and aren't prepared for, and he's landing it. This is the second time that he's landed it in the UFC, um, just a, a, a amazing stuff. The first time he did it from the mount blew everybody away. And you'd think, you know, if you're watching and getting ready for someone like Alexi Olenek, you're like, okay, watch out for the for the Ezekiel. That's really the only thing he brings to the table as far yeah. as danger, where he can finish the fight. Right. Uh, and you're still getting caught in it, man. Yeah, unbelievable. 
Well, and he is an underrated striker, I would say that, because most of the focus is on uh, the submission game, but you're right. Um, yeah. And this is a guy, he made his pro debut at 19 years old when I was a senior in high school in 1997. Um, he has finished all of wow. his UFC wins. He has finished his last 15 wins overall. This was his 41st win by submission, 11 different variations, his 11th career Ezekiel choke. He's a father of five, ages two to 16. I'm kind of reading my fighter card here because I did want to mention, uh, because we, we only touched on it on the broadcast, that I don't know if you know Kenny, or we probably talked about it at the time, Alexi Olenek's daughter, um, Paulina, attending Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which was the site of the one of the most deadly shootings in American history back on Valentine's yes. Day. And he got the text from his daughter that said Jeez. there's been a shooting at my school. And he wrote this piece about it. You know, nothing in 52 pro fights was as terrifying as the text, you know, Daddy, there's a shooting at my school, and thankfully she was okay. And um, hard to work that into an MMA fight over the weekend, but uh, it was just a, a crazy uh, involvement for Olenek, and uh, needless to say, pretty happy for him and his family. And I think that's his wife, actually, who corners him as well. So, yes, it is. Um, yeah. So, um, well, that brings us to John Lineker. And uh, your analysis on this, if you go back and listen to it, I mean, everything you you said that was going to play out in this Lineker-Kelleher fight, that's largely the way that it played out. Um, Lineker, you know, he's got some of that Gastelum chin thing going as well, but he's just got so much power and so much ability. And now he's got eight wins in his last nine. Uh, Lineker just hits so unusually hard for that division. It, it's amazing. And uh, Kelleher is very tough, and we knew he was going to be tough and hang in there for as long as possible. Uh, but you can't eat that many combinations. Kelleher uh, is one of those guys you can rely on to be very exciting. Um, but if he wants to have a longer career, he can't do that. He can't do that. And he's got to preserve his body, preserve his brain a little bit, and just be more defensively responsible, move his head a little bit better, be able to get in and get out without eating so many shots. Um, you know, Lineker just kept the pressure on. Uh, going to the body, I mean, those were brutal shots, opening up oh. the head in the end, kept going with the same combination. Um, and uh, in the end, Kelleher, you know, had to drop those hands because he didn't know whether he was going to the body or not. Decided to kind of block down low. He went upstairs with that left hook, uh, taking him out beautifully. And uh, yeah, another another win and another knockout win for John Lineker. And I looked down at the wrong time because I missed it in real time. Oh. Don't, don't listen back to it, but I looked down and, and was fact-checking something, I think, at the time yep. on Kelleher because I think I might have said Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, and it was actually Dana White looking for a fight or something. And um, you got to be careful. Look down for a second. Uh, right. You miss a knockout like that. No bonus for John Lineker, but, again, a, a big fight awaits him. And I know the Dillashaw fight w was eye-opening for a lot of people and, and just how one-sided at times it was. But uh, – Maybe John Lineker will get to a title fight at one point in time. I think he's good enough to do it. Uh, that brings us to Lyoto, the Dragon Machida against Vitor Belfort. And this is certainly one for the highlight reel for Lyoto Machida. Yes. And we felt like, Kenny, this was the type of fight that we could get. And if it went 15 minutes, that it had the potential to not be very exciting because Vitor has sort of been rendered a counter-striker at this stage of his career. And, and Lyoto has to exercise some patience to get his thing going. But Lyoto certainly capitalized on, on a pretty small opening there and, and closed the show emphatically. Shades of Vitor, you know, seven years ago uh, against Anderson Silva. Yeah, absolutely. And for Machida, um, uh, again, just lo looked really, really good. Uh, you could tell from the, the beginning uh, of that fight that he looked very confident and comfortable. Um, he looked very relaxed, but he was on his game. There's a certain look yep. to Machida when Machida 100%. is on. He just looked really, really focused. And Belfort, 
Uh, did not. He, he didn't look as confident. It looked like he was really kind of confused out there, as many people are when they fight someone like a Leota Machida. Um, wasn't able to really cut off the cage, which you have to do. And how do you typically do that? You do that with leg kicks. You do that with your ability to kind of cut off that lateral movement that Machida loves to use. Belfort wasn't doing that. Um, it seemed like he was kind of very singular in his approach which you can't be against Machida. Machida will figure you, out, figure you out, and you are in trouble. And that's exactly what Machida did. Belfort was a little bit low. Uh, Machida went with that front kick uh, knockout, landed it beautifully there on uh, Belfort, and, and that was it, man. Uh, just lovely stuff. So for Lyoto Machida, he then got on the microphone and he had said to us before the fight that he's sort of fight to fight at this point in time and and really doesn't want to put too much on his plate, but also doesn't want to, you know, dis be dismissive of his own chances, right, to necessarily contend or whatever. But then he goes and calls out Michael Bisping, who's just looking for a retirement fight. Um Everybody wants that Bisping fight, Kenny, obviously. Everybody's calling out the one-eyed fighter. Um, this one maybe would have legs, Machida and Bisping. Um, is that a fight that, uh, that you think is going to happen, or because you're Mike's friend, you don't even want to get into it? No, I, listen, I think Mike's done. I, I think Mike yeah. is done. Um, not, not based on anything he's told me or on his career. I, I just think he's done everything. What, what else does he need to I accomplish agree. at I this agree. point? I think Mike has had one of the most impressive careers um, out of any uh, anybody out there, ultimate fighter, competitor, or not. Um, he's a champion in this sport. Um, I, I don't think there's any any reason for right. him to compete. After Machida, you know what? There's going to be another guy who calls him out, and another one, yeah. another one. You can't just go out there and respond right. to every single fighter out there. And while it would make sense if Mike was going to fight again, I think right. that's a fight that would make sense. Right. However, um, you know, in, in my opinion, I, I think we have seen Michael Bisping compete for the last time. Yeah. All right. So Machida will get somebody in. He's got a two-fight winning streak at a time when not a lot of people thought Machida could get back to, to that type of streak. So good on the Dragon. And, and Kenny and I know him well and know that he's one of the best uh, human beings out there. So good for Lyoto. And, yeah. and maybe that extended break that he was forced to go through uh, because of the USADA stuff will end up being something that prolongs his career. On the other side, Vitor Belfort, Kenny, all indications are that he's done. And, yeah. and certainly a guy who contributed so much to this sport, a guy who's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And, and for you and me on a personal level, for us to be there in 2013, which was the year of Vitor for those three knockouts of Rockhold, Bisping, and Dan Henderson. Uh, some some special days, man, and I was getting a little bit emotional seeing Vitor go out there for the last time. I remember when he was a Carlson Gracie, it was, was maybe he was a brown belt at the time, and he competed in an event in Hawaii, uh, and he just massacred this other heavyweight fighter uh. who had competed previously in the UFC named John Hess. And he just destroyed him. And how did he do it? With jiu-jitsu, right? Wrong. He actually did it with striking. I was like, who the hell is this guy? He looked like an absolute savage. Came into the UFC at 19 years old and did the exact same thing that he did in Hawaii. And I was like, man, this guy is something else. He's something special. Um, was a phenomenal athlete. Uh, you know, absolutely lived up to that moniker, the phenom. And uh, had a lot of great fights uh, in the UFC in pride. Uh, and uh, he's a legend. You know, you could talk about all the controversial things that happened yeah. throughout his career, but he absolutely is a pioneer that should be respected. No doubt about it. And that is an era that he ended up being 
the poster child for, if you want to call it the TRT era and certainly Chael Sonnen's name in that mix, you know, but when you talk about 2013 and some people put an asterisk next to the three wins that I just referenced and say, you know, well, that's the dirty Vitor era or whatever. Well, if that's the dirty Vitor era, then dirty Vitor is the greatest, most devastating striker in UFC history, right? Like I've never seen anything like what we saw with Vitor, right? And some of those knockouts and the nature of them. So uh, I guess we'll leave it at that on, uh, on Vitor Belfort and we got to get out of here. Uh, so thanks to uh, our guest Ray Longo and of course Jimmy on the picks. I'd love to go take a nap, but um, you know Man. fatherhood beckons, so we're not going to go take a nap. Uh, I'm glad I don't have jujitsu class. Do you have jujitsu class tonight? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm yeah. teaching a couple classes tonight. Uh, excited. Uh, everything's been going awesome over at Meraki Man. So uh, yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm getting you that T-shirt too. It's, yeah, it's I need a Meraki BJJ T-shirt. Yes. I do not want a BattleBots T-shirt, uh, <laughs> but I do have it on my DVR. It's on the Discovery uh, Channel. Yes. season three is off and running. Uh, Meraki BJJ. My jujitsu classes are Tuesday 6 p.m. You better go this. Attend. You better. You better go this week, dude. Just no. rest up. Rest up, though. Yeah, right? I haven't been in a long time. You know, I don't think this is going to be uh, the week that I go back to it. You know what I'm going to go do? I'm going to go look at real estate in Monmouth, New Jersey, oh, where there's going to there be a live sports book by the end of the weekend. Okay, that's what I'm going to go Oh, do. man, all right. Um, thanks to our Fox Sports crew behind the glass uh, for the flow. I'm John Anik. appreciate everybody listening today uh, and dealing with me. I'm tongue-tied. Of course, I'm underslept. Uh, we will talk to you in less than a week. Uh, until then, have a great one. Go later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and Wagering Week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network. Network's Wagering Week. Help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.